The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Happy springtime, beautiful Do Joy listeners. I hope you're taking advantage of all the energetic opportunities this season brings for renewal and fresh growth and right beginnings. It's a magical, magical season for sure, and I invite you to tap into the energy of that just by giving your attention to it, just by consciously inviting the fresh air of springtime into your life, into any of those situations that might be feeling stagnant or just in need of that jolt of color and vibrancy. A few episodes back, I invited you to send me questions or suggestions for things that you'd like me to talk about. Many of you were doing that anyway, and some of you did that in response to my invitation. So I want to thank you. I enjoy that so much. I enjoy that dialogue with you. So thank you. Thank you for that. And the timing of me gathering up those questions worked out really well for a workshop that I just put together that I delivered at the Institute for Creative Living, the amazing online university where Joy School now lives. So I decided that this episode would consist of some recorded bits of that workshop since I used the questions that you sent in when I was pulling it together. I figured this is a fun way to get you those answers. We did a lot of exercises in between the talking at that workshop to bring some personalization, some experiential meaning to the material, but the ones that we did don't really translate well into a podcast. So if you want to experience those things, you'll have to just join us for Oasis. This is an ideal entry point. We're just kicking off our springtime curriculum in the Year of Joy program. So don't hesitate to check that out if you've been feeling called to join us. Now is a perfect time, and you can find out more, as always, at lisamacourt.com. So here is a bit of what I discussed at the recent workshop at the Institute for Creative Living. Everything that we do at Joy School is centered around the irrefutable premise that you, at your core, are joy. You are joy, love, light. That is your truest essence. That's true for every dang one of us. And it's also true that there are likely many obstructions in the way of that being your day-to-day experience 
of yourself. That's just what it means to be human. So in joy school, we identify and work with these obstructions so that we can elevate our joy set point. Every one of us is walking around with a a set point, like a, a spot of homeostasis where our joy comes to rest. We might get it bumped up here and there, we might have it dip here and there, but there's a level of overall baseline happiness that's just come to feel natural to us. And that's where we're gonna continue to level off until we learn how to sustainably elevate that set point. So we do that by understanding and working with our personal vibration. I was just talking about vibration with one of my podcast guests and she made a really cool analogy about flying. You know how when the plane is flying at a lower altitude, usually for shorter flights, it's likely to be bumpy, lots of turbulence, but when a plane's flying at a higher altitude, usually for longer flights, it's smooth, stress-free, getting right where you want to go at top speed. Same for how we travel through life here. When our vibe is low, meaning we've got a lot of stress, anxiety, frustration, fear, not, not a hard thing to come by these days. When we've got all that pulling our vibration down, we'll get to our destination eventually, probably, but it'll be slow, uncomfortable, unpredictable, bumpy going, little coffee splashed on our shirt. But when we take that time and effort to raise our vibration, it's gonna be smooth and pleasurable and we get to where we wanna be so much faster and more efficiently. So that's what I want us to create together tonight. And we do it by aligning to ever greater degrees with that core being, that essence, the one I was just mentioning that's usually got all that unfortunate layering obscuring it. This core you, it's the part of you that's source. I know some of y'all like to call it God. Some of you creative ones call it the muse. You could call it your higher self, your higher power. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And in Joy School, I often use Eckhart Tolle terminology. He says that we all have a horizontal self, which is that identity that we've created here. It's our persona, our ego, our name, job title, cute bod, trotting around in our cute little boots. And we all have a vertical self. And the vertical self is the one I'm talking about. And it's pretty obscured for most of us regular Earth humans. But the more attention we give it, the more we can activate it, bring it to the forefront of our consciousness. And that means the more peace that we'll feel, the more safety, the more unlimited we become and what we can do and create. So the biggest thing that we do, the, the most of what that entails is breaking old habits and installing some new habits. Everybody cross your arms in front of your chest. All right, now look and notice which arm is on top and then cross your arms with the other arm on top. Can you even do it? How weird does that feel? Totally feels like I'm grabbing my own boob. It didn't feel like that the other way. Okay, now do it with your hands. Clasp your hands out in front of you and then notice which thumb is on top and then do it the other way so the other thumb is on top. That one's not quite as weird, but still weird, right? Because we humans are such, 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 such creatures of habit. And that's how we do everything. Habits form because we do a thing again and again and again. And replacing old habits with new ones just means doing a new thing again and again and again, even if it feels wicked weird at first. So the first 
most important habit that we're going to look at together tonight is how well we manage or don't even try to manage our attention. We have an interesting phrase in our language. We say that we pay attention to this thing or that thing. And we don't use that word pay in many other ways outside of exchanging currency. But it's a totally apt word for what we do with our attention. When we pay attention to something, we're giving our most valuable asset to that thing. We only have a finite amount of attention available to us in any given moment, our day, right? In every moment, we're spending our attention somewhere. And most of us have never learned to manage that spending. So whatever shiny object out there is loudest or shiniest, that's where we give our indescribably valuable attention. Most of us on the planet today are driven largely by our fears. That's just where we are evolutionarily. And fears are loud and ubiquitous. And we have several built-in human biases that tell us that paying attention to a fear will keep us safe from it. I went into that topic at length at my last ICL workshop, so I'll just skim it for tonight. But basically, in our cave people days, it behooved us to keep our eye on the ball, the ball being whatever feels threatening to us. Our circumstances have evolved to the point where our survival is very seldom actually threatened by what's happening around us. But our nervous system and our brains haven't evolved to the point of recognizing that. So we stay on high alert to threats that are mostly today imaginary. It's not crocodiles and saber-toothed tigers anymore that we fear. It's more often threats to our egos, to our positioning, our positioning in society or positioning with our loved ones fear of not being able to realize our stated wishes and desires, but our bodies still treat these fears like we're about to be eaten by crocodiles, and that's not serving us. It's not serving us for all kinds of biological reasons that I won't get into, but also because it keeps a lot of our valuable, valuable attention pointed in unbeneficial directions. I know some of you here have heard me talk about your attention is your energy hose. Wherever you point it, that's what you're watering. That's what's gonna grow for you, the good and the bad. And it's a matter of essence. So it's not like saying, if you pay all that attention to your boss being mad at you, that means you're gonna create more boss being mad at you. It can play out that way and, and it often does, but what you're really watering in that case is the essence of what you're feeling in that scenario. Are you feeling misunderstood, unappreciated, Watering that with your attention will cause not only the specific situation to magnify and grow, but you're watering the seeds all around it. So like weeds, more things are likely to pop up that share that essence. More situations in your life where you'll feel misunderstood or unappreciated or undervalued or disrespected, whatever that bottom line felt experience is. So gaining awareness of where you're spending your attention during the bulk of your time is one of the most powerful steps you can take toward your elevated joy. Eckhart calls it becoming the observer. And this is one of the first habits that you wanna build. It has the added benefit of aligning you more with your vertical self, to go back to Eckhart terminology, because most of us walking the planet are super aligned with our horizontal selves. So it just takes some commitment to shift that alignment. And at the most basic level, it means establishing a new relationship with your thoughts and feelings. 
So if you feel anger, your default might be to say, I'm angry. That's what most of us would go to. And that implies full identification with the anger. It's an I am statement. You're saying it's who you are when you phrase it that way. So becoming the observer means shifting into a place where you notice the anger without identifying with it. Even as you feel the cortisol rising up and you feel that lump in your throat or that flush to your face and that churning of the body chemicals that we all associate with anger, still your response would be to notice, wow, there's a lot of anger coming up right now. And then in that moment, you want to pay attention to who is noticing this anger because that's the real you. The anger isn't you. You're the consciousness noticing the anger. And I'm sure you can see that when that becomes your habit, you're able to stay in a more neutral place. You're not nearly as likely to get hijacked by the anger because you're the observer of it. And from there, you can get curious about it. And there are a dozen beautiful steps to take from there. But I just want to really give you this one practice for now because it's something you can start playing with right away. And it's a biggie. I don't mean to imply it's easy. It's definitely a skill that's built over time. A visual that I love comes from an ancient Upanishad that says that the evolved human mind is two birds sitting on a branch. One is eating the fruit of the tree while the other lovingly looks on. I don't know if that's helpful for you, but my mind likes visuals like that. One of my favorite Abraham quotes that's so, so simple. Maybe it's a favorite because it's one I heard Esther say in person a few years ago. It's your path is more well-lighted than you've been allowing yourself to realize. And just that quote just brings me home. We get so distracted by the out there and it's a mixed bag of messaging and we all get caught up in our pros and cons lists and our rationalizations and wanting to prove ourselves right in whatever position we've previously taken because God forbid we ever be wrong about something. And it's all hodgepodgey and messy out there, but it's not messy in here. It's clear as can be. The answer to every question that ever comes up is always just the answer to, if I were making this decision in full alignment with my true core inner being, which I know to be unlimited joy, love, peace, divine wisdom, it just allows your consciousness to rise above the fray where everything is clear. So it takes some practice, some doing. Nearly every week in Oasis, we go into dialogue with our wise inner knowing on some topic. And that's how we keep the connection alive. And we're always working to deepen that pathway and keep it as unobstructed as we can make it. And we're all, all of us works in progress. We're all here together right now because we recognize that we want to vibrate higher wherever we're currently vibrating, even if it's already way above average. I know that's the case for a lot of my joy schoolers. It's weird, you'd think that selling joy, I'd attract a lot of but miserable people, but a really large percentage of my joy schoolers are already above average in high vibe consciousness. They've just clued in to that energetic truth that continuing to up-level our vibration continues to improve every teeny tiny aspect of our lives. And I believe it's what we're here for, what we're here on the planet to do and what we're here right now to do. So we're focusing on habits tonight because the really obvious truth that a lot of us overlook is that joy is a right now thing or it's nothing at all. 
we're all so conditioned to look for joy out there in some next moment. But the only time we can ever have joy is right now in this moment. So we're wanting to build the habit of present moment joy. And let's face it, most of us have never cultivated that habit. One of my teachers used to say that your life is a beaded necklace and every day is a bead on the string. We have this tendency to always be looking at some distant goal as the time when our days will be good once we've gotten that degree or that job or that partner or that home. And we treat this day that we're in like this little insignificant stepping stone, never stopping to savor what's right here, right now, putting our interest and attention into making this moment beautiful right here. But this day that we're in, that's our life. The individual days strung together one after the next are the beads that make up the necklace that's our life. If we give time and attention to making each bead each day as beautiful and good as we can make it, those beads all strung together, that's our existence. You can only make a truly beautiful necklace by paying attention to each bead. So the point being obviously that we have to start valuing our individual days, hours, moments as the precious gifts that each one is instead of rushing through them unconsciously thinking that we're paving the way for some future happy payoff day. That's kind of been programmed into us, right? Work hard now so you can play or relax or rejoice or whatever in the future. And energetically, it doesn't work that way. Louise Hay loved to say, Today is the future I created yesterday. And she said that because the energy that you're embodying and sending out right now in this very moment is an order that you're placing with the universe. And every moment we're telling the universe what kind of next moments we'd like to have. The universe will comply. It's here to fill your order. And maybe your external world isn't set up right now to give you what you believe to be the reasons for you to have a high vibratory state. We all know what that's like here in this puny human experience. That's why we learn the skills of becoming less affected by the out there. We learn to turn inward where we all are joy and peace and love at our core. It's what my friend Marcy Shymoff calls being happy for no reason in her books. My friend and teaching partner Rob Matt calls it happiness from the inside out in his books. Christians call it the peace which surpasses all understanding. Eckhart Tolle calls it presence. We work with Buddhist principles a lot in joy school and the Buddhist word for it is piti. So cultivating piti is an ongoing practice for detaching from the learned idea that in order to be happy, something must be happening to make us happy. Thanks to impermanence, whatever is making us happy in one moment, might not be there in the next. Same for whatever is making us unhappy. So deepening our appreciation for this truth just lets us loosen our grip on needing to control, needing to find that next happy maker out there, and needing to cling desperately to whatever happy makers we've managed to attract into our current situation. A person who has cultivated the Buddhist quality of piti will still feel the effects of transitory emotions based on the situations, but at the same time, they'll have a heightened recognition of the nature of impermanence. 
so that the perpetual grasping for wanted things and avoidance of unwanted things just becomes lighter. In Joy School, I always say, we're just pushing pieces around a game board. Some rolls of the dice are gonna move us ahead in the game. Some are gonna set us back in the game. We just have to remember it's a game because enjoying the playing of the game is how we win it. There are several parables that demonstrate this that I've shared over the years. I'll pick a really quick one now about the wise man who wins a fancy car in the lottery and all of his friends say, oh, you're so lucky, how wonderful. And he says, maybe. And then he's out driving his fancy car and gets in a terrible accident and all of his friends say, oh, how awful, how unfortunate. And he says, maybe. And then he's in the hospital that night when a freaking mudslide happens and his house slides off the mountain into the sea and all his friends say, how lucky that you were in the hospital. You would have died in your house. What good fortune. And he says, maybe. You get the idea. What we think is a bad thing, we all know could turn into a good thing in the next moment and vice versa. And even when things stay good or bad, they don't stay in our experience. Buddhists say, the bad news is that nothing lasts. The good news is that nothing lasts. And there's a, a caution in Buddhist teachings around wanting to attain enlightenment in order to be happy. The equation is the other way around. Discovering the bliss of non-attachment, discovering how to be happy, is what then leads to enlightenment. So to pull this into our discussion of habits, in the Art of Happiness, a book, the, the Holiness, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, it's simply a matter of replacing negative conditioning or habituation with new positive conditioning. So in Buddhism, that conditioning starts with the meditation practice, expands into the whole eightfold path. In Joy School, we just hit it from lots of different angles, lots of different perspectives of different teachings, both contemporary, spiritual, I mean traditional, just to keep that conditioning going. Because elevating our vibration in this moment brings payoffs far beyond this moment. It's a no-brainer goal in itself because you get to feel good now but it helps to solidify your commitment to it, to understand that it's also an order you're placing with the universe, telling the universe how to structure your existence moving forward to get you more of that feeling that you're placing the order for. Placing our vibrational orders with the universe is how our joy set point, that baseline for the amount of happiness that we experience, it's how it got set originally. It happens at a very, very young age, based on misconceptions about ourselves, misconceptions about the world. We come to these conclusions really early on based on immature understandings rooted in feeling, not fact. And these misconceptions create a filter that we go on to experience and create our world through, right up until now. The filter is filled with untruths, but we don't see that because it's like a blinder keeping us unaware of everything outside its parameters. I drilled in on this topic quite a bit when I gave a workshop here at the ICL a month ago, so I don't wanna to be too repetitive since a lot of you were there, but in a nutshell, you're seeing the world through a keyhole. Me too, everyone else too, and none of our keyholes are lined up the same, so we're each experiencing a completely unique reality. Much of it colored by traumas, big ones, small ones, traumas that we've picked up along the way and formed these beliefs around. 
Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When I work with young kids, I call the vertical self a glow stick. I teach them to connect with that glow stick inside them by making U-turns, and I spell it Y-O-U-turns. It's just a skill, just a skill to be honed. When we're spending our attention on something in the out there that's pulling down our vibration, which we can train ourselves to notice and feel, it's always just a reminder to make a U-turn and go into the glow stick. That's where all the resilience is, all that higher consciousness allowing of whatever's happening out there. And I don't use the word allowing in the sense that we should just accept things that are unacceptable, but so that we can come from the most effective position in our efforts to make things better, right? When we see a low vibe circumstance and the out there and we lower our own vibration by complaining about it, railing against it, fighting it, we're just simply not coming from an effective position. I love the classic Abraham analogy of a train with two engines, right? So one train, there's an engine on this end, there's an engine on this end. One engine is the problem and the other is the solution. And of course, like we've been saying all night, whatever we give our attention to is what we strengthen. So the more you are giving your attention to the problem in the energy of the problem, you're strengthening the engine that's going to pull the train in that direction. But when you put your attention on the engine that represents the solution, the higher vibration energy, you're going to give that engine the strength to pull the train that way. Only way to uplift the situation is to be more energetically aligned with the solution than the problem. And that just takes some creativity, some vision, some skillful management of how we're spending our attention. And all of that becomes so much more natural, closer to our default setting, when we build the skill of aligning with that vertical self, that glow stick, which is our truest, most natural and enduring part of us. So here's a metaphor that you may have heard. It's kind of popular. You're walking with a cup of coffee and someone bumps into you and coffee sloshes all over the place. Why did the coffee get spilt? The answer is not because somebody bumped into me. The answer is because coffee was in the cup. If tea had been in the cup, tea would have gotten spilt. If lemonade, then lemonade, and so on. When life jostles us, when life gets lifey and bumps us around, whatever spills out of us is going to be what's in our cup. And there are a lot of people walking around with cups full of anger and frustration and blame, and that's what comes out of these people when life jostles them. So learning to live more in alignment with your true inner being is what lets you walk around with acceptance and compassion and other good things in your cup. And then when life jostles you, what spills out of your cup is a high vibration response that's always going to be more effective in bringing about a higher vibration circumstance. There's another little story that I use in my trainings to illustrate this, again, of Buddhist origin. A white a wise man. It always starts with a wise man in Buddhism, right? But a wise man lives in a village 
And one day, a guest to the village comes and asks him, hey, I'm thinking of moving here. What's it like here? And the wise man says, hmm, tell me, what's it like where you live now? And the guy says, oh, it's awful. Nothing but crooks and jerks, nothing to do there. And the wise man says, hmm, I think you'll find it's the same here. The next day, another guest comes to the village, goes to the wise man and says, I'm thinking of moving to your village. What's it like here? And the wise man says, hmm, tell me, what's it like where you live now? And the guest says, oh, it's lovely. Everyone's so kind. The town is so beautiful. And the wise man says, I think you'll find it's the same here. It's all about what they got in their cups. Or as Anish Nin has famously put it, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. So again, the first step to becoming choiceful about what's in our cup is to cultivate the habit of observing what's currently in the cup. And that starts by observing our thoughts. A lot of us have an inaccurate assumption that our thoughts are who we are. We've kind of been, been brought up to think that. We tend to align very personally with our own thinking. So remembering to observe our thoughts and feelings reminds us that who we are is the one who observes these things. We are the consciousness doing the observing. The thoughts and feelings come and go. We know this from experience, right? How you feel one day is not going to be how you feel another day. And to a large extent, what we think one day can be different from what we think another day. And our thoughts and feelings are all subject to that unreliable filter, the one that each of us experiences the world through with none of our keyholes lined up. So when we get more habitual about thinking in these terms, we know to take our own thoughts and feelings lightly. They're not our enemies, they're not to be ignored. We just need to establish a relationship with them that honors our true inner essence, our consciousness, and a higher position above them. Thoughts and feelings are real in that their energy forms and energy is real, but they're not solid. They're pretty flimsy, ephemeral little energy constructs. Energy can't be created or destroyed. We learned that in middle school, but it can change form, and it does that all the time. And we can become energy alchemists when it comes to our thoughts and feelings because they aren't really all that substantive. Where our thoughts and feelings are most valuable is they're always messengers for us. Our thoughts and feelings are always just showing us what's in our filter. And that's really handy because when we can see what's in our filter, we can do the work to start changing it up and making it more beneficial for us. Same with our attention, really. When we start noticing which things grab our attention out of the hundreds of billions of things that could be getting our attention, becoming the observer and seeing where our attention wants to go is another great way to see what's in our filter. We're blinded to all these filter beliefs that determine our experience of reality until we start doing these tricks to make them more visible for us. And this all gets kind of exciting when you start carrying around that understanding that nothing we're experiencing with our senses is even as real as we've been thinking it is. We're all just doing life through this faulty lens of our past conditioning. One of my Hay House sisters, Barbara Corellis, was on my radio show many years ago. She's a Tantra coach. And among other things, she teaches men how to have better sex. And she does this by helping them remember and asking the question, what was going on when you had your first orgasm? 
basically this is taking them back to what I call their bucket beliefs around sex and orgasm. Bucket beliefs are just the originating beliefs that shape your ongoing experience of things. So for many, many male humans, I'm sure many humans across the gender spectrum, but Barbara was focusing on males for this discussion. For many, that meant hiding in the bathroom or their bedroom alone with the door locked, unsure what they're doing, just knowing they feel compelled to do it, hoping not to get caught, feeling super uneasy about the whole thing because someone somewhere along the way had definitely given them the idea that this is not nice behavior that they're engaging in, right? Like how common is that scenario? So what do you do when you're trying not to get caught at something? You hold your breath. You make sure you're as quiet as can be. You try to get it over with quickly so you can cover your tracks and go back to demonstrating, I'm not doing anything, nothing to see here, right? So Barbara, being a sexuality expert, would point out that the most natural expression of a male orgasm, or probably any orgasm, is one with plenty of full, deep breathing, lots of noise and guttural expression, and the movement of energy through them in that way that their bodies are designed to express sexually, teaching them to slow their roll and be in that moment. And then she'd have the guy talk about what goes on for him typically when he has an orgasm. And very often the light bulb would go off. Oh yeah, I think I do kind of hold my breath in that moment and I, I don't make any noise or at least maybe I don't invite sound to ripple through me. And I tell you about this, not because I want you to have better sex, Though, of course, I want that for you, too, because I love you. But because it's a nice, juicy, relatable metaphor for the way we approach everything. We've all been conditioned under the radar in lots of different areas to behave or limit ourselves, to follow these rules, rules that have no logical bearing on our current lives whatsoever. And all of this should be up for renegotiation. Until we bring all this conditioning up into the light of our present day awareness, it just runs us under that radar of our conscious attention. The guy Barbara was coaching might have been married for 20 years and rationally in his brain would have no conceivable reason to feel guilty about sexual pleasure with his wife. No reason to go about sex in a way that reflected shame around the experience. If you asked him rationally about it, he'd say, of course he didn't feel any shame around enjoying sex with his committed life partner. But since his earliest experience of orgasm took place in a certain energetic framework, that's how his subconscious continued to frame those scenarios, long after it didn't make any rational sense anymore. Once this hypothetical guy started using his awareness to breathe during sex, let loose with all that noise and glorious sound that wanted to come forth, it's a whole new experience. Barbara made an incredibly successful career for herself around this coaching. So. I share that example because this is what we do. Until we do the work of challenging our earliest perceptions, they run us, we don't see it. It just becomes the water that we swim in and we're completely blinded to it until we're not. We need to get excited about the understanding that everything we experience is a Rorschach test. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you look at an ink blot and it becomes something different for everyone who looks at it. There's a flowering bush on the side of the road. First human to walk by says, ah, oh, the beauty of nature. I feel gratitude and inspiration at this lovely first sign of spring. Next person to walk by. Ah, crap, all those blossoms mean pollen seasons here. Allergies suck. Next person to walk by. 
oh, that fragrance smells like my mom who just passed. That reminds me of her perfume. I wonder if this is a sign that she's with me. How wonderful to get that communication from her today just when I needed it most. Next one who walks by, bush is blooming. Damn, that means tax season's here. Better get started as soon as I get back. Man, I hate tax season. It's the same flowering bush. The flowering bush is a Rorschach test, just like everything else out there. All of it happens automatically until it doesn't, until we commit to taking control of it. That's what it means to master our own consciousness, beginning to notice our default settings and committing to cultivating new habits for how we spend our valuable, valuable, precious attention. This is how we sustainably raise our vibration to fly at that higher altitude. There's an expression, if you ask the universe to move a mountain, be prepared to wake up with a shovel in your hand. You're the co-creator. When you awaken to this realization about how illusory your life is, you will be shown what needs to be done, but then you still gotta use the shovel. You gotta show up for yourself. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that sampling of that recent workshop that I gave structured around the correspondence you've been sending in. Your home play, my loves, is to pay attention to where you pay attention. That was a big theme in this talk because it's so important. And since it is springtime, the time for freshness and new starts, I want you to ask your wise inner knowing this week to help you notice where you might be spending a lot of your valuable, precious attention on things that maybe just are no longer meaningful to you. We grow, we evolve, we change. What's meaningful to us changes, but often our calendars and to-do lists and commitments don't quite keep up with those changes. So the invitation is to look at where in your life your valuable, precious attention is being spent on things that lower your vibration, things that aren't contributing to your joy, that just aren't in alignment with who you are right now at this present moment and you're evolving. And I want you to energetically pull back some of that attention in these areas that you've identified and then ask your wise inner knowing, where might this attention be better spent? What are some fresh new seedlings that I could plant and water with this attention? What would feel new and invigorating and exciting right now for me to nourish with my most valuable asset, my attention, my chi, my prana? hope you enjoy the home play this week. Drop me a note about what comes up for you if you'd like. I'd always love to hear from you and just have a beautiful, beautiful springtime week, my love bugs. See you soon. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, Find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. 
Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. I'll see you next week for Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Much love. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.